Say it with me. God has something good for me today. Because he does. He loves you with an everlasting love. He is for you and not against you. He has nothing but good for you. Life is an ebb and flow. Life is a squeezing sometimes. But the Lord is the constant. He delivers us. He moves us forward. He moves us from victory to victory, from glory to glory. Trust him. Trust him. Grow in him. So we're going to do John chapter 7 today. We're going to do part of that this morning. Um, just finishing up a little bit after uh, John chapter 6. And I'll kind of recap a little bit for you. But let me read this portion of John chapter 7 for you. It says, After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee. And he, didn't, and he did not walk in Judea because the Jewish leaders sought to kill him. And now when the feast of the Jews, which is called Tabernacles, was at hand, his brothers said to him, Go on down to Jerusalem. And so that they may see all of these things that you're doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, then get to go out and show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Ouch. Then Jesus said to them, my time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it will hate me because I speak of its works as being evil. You go up to the feast, for I am not yet going up. For my time has not fully come. And when he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. But when Jesus' brothers had gone up to the feast, not openly Jesus went, he went up in secret. And then the Jewish leaders sought him at the feast, asking everyone, where is he? And there was much complaining by the people concerning him. Say this, much complaining. <laughs> people were complaining. And some were saying uh, complaints, some were saying he's a good man, others were saying, no, 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 he's a deceiver, but no one dared speak openly of him for fear of the Jews. And so chapter 6 is coming to a close. It's important to kind of carry over chapter 6 a little bit into chapter 7 so that you kind of get an idea of what's going on here. Jesus just concluded chapter 6 with a very controversial statement. He said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part in me. You have no part in me, which was a very controversial thing to, the, to them at that point. But to, a Jew, to us, we even read that and say, what, what is, what's going on here? And what's interesting is that because the, the early church celebrated communion so much that the emperor Claudius thought that, the, uh, that Christians were cannibals because they always spoke of eating the flesh and drinking the blood, you know, that kind of concept. But what Jesus is alluding to here is not just communion. He's alluding to the fact that you must embrace my death you must embrace every part of my death on your behalf. And he's also alluding to something that they would have known. So chapter 6, there's seven months in between these chapters, if you can believe that. So chapter 6 is taking place in the spring during the Feast of Passover. Chapter 7 is going to take place in the fall during the Feast of Tabernacles. And so the chapter 6, when Jesus was saying that, he was talking to them on the early part of the Feast of Passover. And so what they would have understood, he's, he's speaking the language. It's always a common language. And so the Lord was speaking to them in a common language, they would have understood the concept of the Passover lamb. They would have understood. And so Jesus says, when, when, when the Jews had to come out of Egypt, they had to roast the lamb with fire and they had to eat the whole lamb. They had to eat all of it. They had to fully consume the lamb. 
They had to embrace the death of the lamb. They had to watch the father, had to watch the blood spill. So they had to watch the blood spill. They had to roast the lamb. They had to consume it. So Jesus is alluding to that. They would have known that the Messiah was going to be a Passover lamb. They would have known that. John the Baptist, when they saw him, he said, behold, the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. What was he alluding to? He was alluding to the Passover lamb. This was all known in this culture. They would have known it. They would have known it. And so there, he's alluding to that. He's also alluding to the Seder. At the Seder, the Jews got lit. They got lit. Say, what's lit? They got drunk. They drank four cups of wine at the Passover. Not one, not two, not three. Everybody say it. Four. Four. Right. They were drinking and they were celebrating. And so they were consumed with what God had done. And so when Jesus is doing that, he says, you must drink of my blood. That blood, they would dip their finger in at the Passover, and it represented the, the, the judgments of God, and they would dip upon their enemies. And so they would treat it as blood. So they would take the ten, the ten, um, the ten plagues, and they would dip it and drop it on a white napkin as they would announce the blood, and then they would all drink it. And so they were immersed in the sacrifice that their God had made for them. They had were immersed in the fact that God had brought them out. They would have known all of this. And so Jesus is trying to get them to put the Lego pieces together in order that they can understand who he is. And so he makes this idea. He says this to them. And they were offended. It's an amazing thing if you ever read the Gospels, which you should. You should be a student of the word. And you should grow. One of the things that always stands out to me is every time Jesus offended somebody, the way he reacted, he never apologized when he offends someone. <laughs> Not once. In here, they're offended. And Jesus looks at him and goes, does this offend you? And why were they offended? They were offended because they're like, who do you think you are referencing yourself this way? Who do you think you are making yourself out to be what you're making yourself out to be? And Jesus says, does, does this offend you? He said, what if you were to watch me ascend? What if I was to ascend right in front of you? What about that? Would that offend you? And then he says to them, the words that I speak are spirit and truth. Right? That's what he tells them. He says, life, say it with me, life, life. Is, in the spirit. is in the spirit. And he tells them, not in the flesh. In other words, I'm speaking to you about two worlds here, people. And you can't get out of your world in order to understand my world. I'm calling you to leave your natural thinking. And that's what offended them. They got offended because he commanded them and was calling them to leave their natural reasoning in order to understand something higher. What sin does to us is it lowers us. Sin has lowered us to the utmost. We're not only lost, but we're lowered. We're lowered in our thinking. We're lowered in our perceptions of ourselves. We're lowered in our attitudes. We are lowered, lowered, and we're locked in carnality. And so Jesus is talking about a way that's a higher realm, and they can't get it, and they should have gotten it because he'd spent centuries dealing with these people. He spent generations trying to build them up into this place, and they still couldn't leave it, and so they got offended. He's like, just offend you. One of my favorite stories is when Peter comes to Jesus and said, Jesus, you offended the Pharisees. He said, I offended them. He said, I did. And as they're leaving, he goes, well then. And he says something to them as they're leaving. Isn't that wild? Oh, kind little Jesus. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. The church runs around apologizing today. We apologize for everything. There's no apologies. We serve a lion. Deal with it. You don't like him, go. You don't like him, get out of his way. But he's a lion. 
We make no apologies for a lion. Lion isn't running around apologizing to the cheetah because he's so awesome. I'm so sorry, cheetah. We're all equal. We're all equal. All of us are equal. No, we're not all equal. We're not all equal, right? Sons and daughters of the highest, we're not all equal. The bread is for the who? The bre- I'm sorry, the bread is for the who? Right, are you equal? No, you are not. You are not. Not in God's eyes, you are not. You are highly favored. We have nothing to apologize for. You say, Jesus is what you think your gods, all gods are the same. All gods are not the same. My God's risen from the dead. My God came down. No one came down, Jesus said, except me. Not one of them came down. I came down. I am the true God, and I am the one who came down. Not one gave their life. I gave my life. Not only did I give my life, I paid a price for sin, an impossible feat. That would be me. That's what Jesus is saying. I rose. Come on. No one else did that. He's not one among many. He's the one and only. You don't need to compromise your Jesus, Christian. Stop compromising Jesus. Stop. Cut it out. He's king. He's Lord. We were just sitting in an office yesterday, and... um, uh, my wife was in the restroom, and so I was sitting down and meeting with this person, and um, she's sitting there. She's like, oh, so you're a minister? I said, yeah, you could call me that. I said, but I prefer the title Jesus Freak. That's what I told her. Straight up. Let's get one thing straight. I'm not a minister in your little, you know, not, I'm not trying to diminish her, but in your perception of what a minister is. No, I'm a freak for Jesus. This is what I am. I'm a servant of the highest. I'm trying to speak a language she would understand. I don't think she'd get that one, but she'd probably understand Jesus freak, right? And she's like, oh, okay, all right. I'm like, let's just get this out of the table. Let's just clear the air here, right? (laughs) We don't need to apologize for Jesus. Says, does this offend you? What if I was to ascend? Not only am I claiming and demonstrating and giving you the opportunity to see me, God, what if I demonstrated the fact that I was God? Would that offend you? And they all left him. They all left him. They couldn't handle it. Like, how dare this guy say such claims? How dare he say that? That's what people want. They want to suppress Jesus all the time. You're not called to suppress Jesus, Christian. You're called to lift him high. Why do you think these waves and these movements within the culture, this whole ecumenical thing, where everybody's the same, we're not all the same? We're not. We're not. If you're born again, you're exceptional among, the, among all. You're the highest of the high. You, you have spiritual authority in this world. I know this is hard for people to digest because we all want to play. We all want orange slices and juice boxes, right? We all get a participation trophy, right? Everybody gets an orange slice, a juice box, and a participation trophy. That's the culture. There's no, nothing. We're, we don't allow exceptionality. There was just a school recently that they held back all of the all of these um, these kids that earned these scholarship standards or whatever it was be, but these 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 um, academic things that they had achieved. It's like a fifty thousand dollar a year private high school. These kids had achieved these high high things. They you know honor society. It wasn't honor society. It was something else. But by earning that academically, they would have been entitled for grants for college. And the principal of this very wealthy. This is high-end school, decided that that wasn't fair, and so she suppressed that and didn't tell these kids. For like five, six years later, it came out that she had withheld the fact that these kids were exceptional. And when she was interviewed as to why she held it back, she said, well, we don't want to discourage, our, our, we don't want to discourage the other students. This is the world we live in, Right? 
We live in a world like that. It's, it's insane. You can Google it. I don't know the name of the school, but I read the article when in passing, and it's just very much there. And there's a kid that's in college, and he's like, man, I earned that five years ago. He's trying to sue the school. It's like, you know, I, didn't, I could have applied for grant money. I could have, you know, there were the things that I would have gotten. But because the teacher saw that not everybody's exceptional. You're exceptional. The Christian is highly favored, like it or not. Like it or not. You don't even have to practice this faith, and you'll watch victory come through your life. It's true. It's true. You watch, you watch the exceptionality. You watch people sink, and you go through it. And you're like, that didn't affect you. And you're like, not at all, you know. <laughs> You are exceptional. You are. You are sons and daughters of the highest. Doesn't mean you know what you're doing, but it means you need to embrace the title and you need to embrace it. You didn't send in a resume. I tell these people all the time. You didn't fax a resume to heaven and say, hey, I'd like to apply for being a son and daughter of the highest. When you came to Christ, you get full rights of inheritance on day one. And favor moves over your life. Syrophoenician woman is classic example The woman comes to Jesus. He says, I owe you nothing. She came to Jesus. He said, I don't owe you anything. The bread doesn't belong to you. The bread belongs to the children. I'm not obligated to you. I have no obligation to you, in fact. But if you're in Christ, I have an obligation. And she spoke to him in a different way. She said, yes, but even dogs eat the cup. He said, shall I give what is holy to dogs? (laughs) So get it. He calls us children, and he calls the outsiders dogs. Right? Dog will eat anything you put in front of them. Do you know that? It's like a pig. Dog will eat anything. They, don't, they can't tell the difference between filet mignon and, and hamburger. They, they don't, they'll just, they just hork it. Right? He used to have a dog, didn't matter what, what fell on the floor. He'd eat like a plastic cap. He'd be like, coughing it out because he doesn't know what he's eating. He's just eating everything. He, know, he can't tell the difference. Your sons and daughters, Christian, awaken to that purpose. You are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Your city's on a hill. That's how Jesus talks about you. Is that exceptional? I think that's exceptional. In other words, your flavor is a little bit, little bit stronger than everybody else. You're the salt of the earth. You enlighten, you enliven. There's something different about you. You bring an illumination, right? You're a city on a hill. And he, what's he tell you? Don't hide it. Stop putting the, lamp, the basket over the lamp, right? You don't do that, but we love to do that because we don't want to offend anyone. Jesus offends people. He's called Scandalon, rock of offense. That's what he is. One of his titles is Scandalon, a stone of stumbling and a Scandalon, a rock of offense. It means striking stone. That's what that word means. And what what does Jesus strike against? Man's pride, man's will, man's perspective, man's attitudes, man's actions. And he tells them you're off. And that strikes at their pride because, you know, we don't like that. We don't like to be told we're wrong. You know, I'm wrong? Yes, you're wrong. Jesus goes back to Galilee. And what does he do when he goes back to Galilee? So after this incident, he goes back up north to the northern part of the lake. But he doesn't stay there. He goes to the Gentiles. He goes to the, to the city of Tyre and Sidon, which are Gentile, non-Jewish cities. And he goes to another place called Decapolis, which is 10 cities. And so these were just basically a group of cities that united under one government. They were called a Decapolis. They were 10 cities, but they were one. And Jesus ministers there. What's the point there? He was in Judea, but they didn't want him. If the noble will not accept him, the Lord will take a people who will. He will go and find a people that will give him honor. You are invited and given an exceptional opportunity to honor the one who calls himself king. 
to honor the one who is the true king. And if you will not, then he will find another. I don't believe that. Well, let's just look at three very close examples. Let's look at tithing and giving. He tells them in the book of Malachi, if you will not give, I'm a king and I am worthy of great honor. If you will not pay me this honor, I will walk right past you and I will go find a people who will. <gasps> he will? Doesn't mean you're not loved. Doesn't mean you're not loved. He loves you. Doesn't even mean you're not saved. It just means you're not going to participate with him. If you will not pay me the honor, say it with me, honor. honor. You know where I'm going. Creates access. If you will not pay me the honor, then you will not access it. And I'm going to go find a people who will pay me this honor. What's he say with servitude? Serving, following him. He says, why do you call me Lord? Somebody finish it for me. And not do what I say. Huh? Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Then he does it with worship. Do you hear what they're saying? They're calling you king. He said, if they will not worship me, I'll command the rocks. I'll get the rocks to do it, right? He tells them, he's very blunt in Malachi. He tells them, I will find these people. And so Jesus can't find this level of commitment among the people that he has called to himself. And so he looks to go find it elsewhere. But he will find that people. He will find them. He will go to Decapolis. He will go to Tyre. He will go to Sidon. He will go to Samaria. He will go to the ends of the earth. But he will find a people that will honor him. And sons and daughters will not pay him the honor. You're a son and daughter. You're saved. But you owe your father honor. Let's go back to Malachi. If I am your father, anybody know the verse? Where is my honor? That's the first thing he asks them. They're asking him, where are you, Jesus? Oh, where are you, Jesus? You know, you don't help us. You know, we fast, we pray, we throw dirt on our head, we cry, we rip our clothes. Oh, look at us. We're so pathetic. That's what they're doing, and they're asking him, why don't you see us in our patheticness? Why don't you care in our patheticness? He says, if I'm your father, where's my honor? What is he telling him? Step up to the level of your birth and start acting like a son or a daughter. Huh? Become who I call you, not who the world calls you, not who you are, but honor me. You don't access what you want because you pay me no honor. Classic. Can't get any clearer. They're outside because they're neglecting something that he's commanded them to do that was an act of honor. It's all there. He goes to find a people who will follow him. He goes to Tyre and Sidon. He goes to Decapolis, and he comes back, and now he's in Galilee. And what's happening here? is the Feast of Tabernacles is going on, and every Jewish male had to go to that feast. They had to go to Passover, and they had to go to Pentecost. And so the time is coming, and his brothers are telling him to go on down to Jerusalem, but make a show of it. You know, get the Escalade. You know, go with a flex. You know, get the Maybach. You know what I mean? Just roll. Get that Lambo. You know, come in in style. Oons, 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 oons. Go in there. Go to J-Town, Jesus. Make it happen. But Jesus models something for us here. He's not interested in the drama. He withdraws from seven months to focus on something else. Because, say it with me, he's not interested in the drama. You do not, it is, say it with me, it is not necessary for me to live by the noise of the world. Somebody's like, give me a pen. I need to write that down. You need to write that down. Yes, you do. You need to write that down. It is not necessary for you to live by the noise of the world. 
the clamor, the this, the that, the noise, the pressure, the, all of that stuff. It is not necessary for you to do that. Jesus withdrew from the drama, and he models to us the power of focus. Say, it's not necessary to live by the noise of the world. This, is, this next one's going to help a lot of you. It is not necessary <laughs> to answer every critic. <laughs> They're critiquing him. He doesn't even answer them. You don't have to live by their noise. You don't have to live by their criticisms. He doesn't, you don't have to do that. It's not necessary to answer every critic and say this. It is not necessary to live by someone else's agenda. So some of you just got to go, woo, that's freeing. Just God does not expect that of you. People will expect that of you, but the Lord does not. If you don't define your life, it will be defined for you. If you do not have goals in a directional process of goals, then you will find the people that do have goals will be the ones pressuring you onto their goals. Your goal is to be unified with Jesus. Your goal is to serve the Lord. you got to say a yes before you say a no. Everybody wants something from you. Can I get a witness? My wife and I were sitting in the office and with this person yesterday, and, and she works a lot with people, and so she was telling me all this stuff about people, and I was literally finishing her sentence. She's like, I just feel like everybody, and, and she starts saying it, and I go, want something from you? She goes, want something from me? She's like, exactly. And I was just talking to her about that, and I said, they all want something, but they never want to give. And she's like, exactly, exactly. <laughs> people will force you onto their agenda if you let them you have to understand him and then you have to understand from him unto you and then when you understand that relationship you do everything your father says you're here this morning you're honoring your father you know why this is what he wants this is what he wants he doesn't want it on christmas and easter he's not interested in that he doesn't just want you here Christmas and Easter. He doesn't want you dipping. He doesn't want drive-by, right? We're trying to run services as fast as we can, as fast as we can. Drive-through Happy Meal, you know, in and out in an hour. We'll get you in and out in 30 minutes. 30 minutes will get you in and out. You get churches competing to see how fast they can get you in and out of their church. I'm like, do you do that when you go to the movies? Seriously. Do you do that when you're binging Netflix? No, you do not. Some of y'all sit weekends, the whole weekend, 12 hours, sitting there glued in front of the tube because you got to binge that show. But Jesus, oh my gosh, when am I out of here? Oh, you know, hurry it up, pastor, hurry it up. Too close, too close. Bad pastor, you're offending us. Does that offend you? Should I go more? <laughs> <laughs> let's go further <laughs> it's not necessary to live by the noise of the world it's not necessary to answer every critic and it's not necessary to live by other people's agenda happy day happy, that's, that should be the mantra for some of you this week and it should be this you should reverse it and say Lord what are you saying and what are you doing that should be your discipline and most of you you're going to get silence when you do that because you've never pressed in to those echoes before but you need to develop the habit. I don't want to learn to live by the noise of the world, Lord. I repent for that. I break covenant with that. I want to live by the voice of your world. What are you saying? What are you doing? And then reverse it again and say, I don't have to answer every critic. Lord, speak life over me. 
affirm me. Allow the Lord to prophetically affirm you. Allow the Lord to prophetically direct you. And then ask him, what's your agenda? What's your agenda? See how the thief wants to steal us away from the one who loves us most and the one who wants nothing from us, only all things for us? And we allow it to happen. We need to like, oh, that's not happening anymore. I'm not living like this anymore. It's time, it's going to be time to change. Say it, ch 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 changes. Right, that's what changes are. They're stutters. They're ch 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 I'm trying to ch 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 change. That's how you do. You stutter into a change. You're kind of like, I'm going to change. I'm going to change. I do this all day. I do this all the time. It's like, you're pretty acquainted with this, Kevin. Yes, I am. I am. I'm pretty acquainted with it. So he's got his brothers. So this I would like to say to some of you. Say it with me. His brothers were born into a believing household, and they didn't believe. We need to get God in our home. You can't get more God in this home. Jesus is in the home. It can't get any more godly. He's there, right? And so a lot of times what ends up happening is parents and people and families, they take all this guilt and all this burden upon themselves. Oh, I failed. I failed. Jesus didn't take that burden on him. He didn't make it his personal mission to reach his brothers. He lived with them. They were around him. He saw it. He watched their lifestyle, his lifestyle. He, they heard his words. They watched the things in his life. And they didn't believe. They did believe eventually, but they didn't believe. Mary, and so that first thing is, is that like, you know, like, say it with me. I want, all the, I want all the Christian parents, let's just say all the parents and parents that are to be, say, my kids are going to be amazing for Jesus. Well, I pray that they do, that they are. I seriously do. What happens with James and with, with, with Jesus' brothers, I'll share with you in a minute. But I want you to say this. I do the best I can with what I have in the situations I'm in. That's the Lord's standard for me. That will be my standard for me. Right? You say, well, your best wasn't good enough. Probably not, but it was my best. That was the best I had then. With, that, was the, that was the tool set I had. Right? I had the set of Tonka tools. I had a bunch of plastic wrenches. You know, I had terrible tools. I didn't have the knowledge. I didn't have the ability. But I gave my best in that moment. That's all the Lord expects for you. And he expects you to move on and not remain in those moments, but get better and move on and get better and move on. That's what he expects. Most of us were... I got one witness back there. So, yeah, exactly. Most of us were crying over things that we can't change. You can't change your past, so why are you crying over it? We lament it so bad. If we, I wish we all had a rewind button. Wouldn't that be nice? We could change a whole lot, but we don't. And so again, the enemy will trap you in the past when the Lord is calling you into the future. And you'll lament the past and you'll condemn yourself where there is no condemnation on you. Did you screw up? All right, admit it and credit, change. I'm not gonna do that again. I'm not gonna live that way again. I made a lot of changes. I was that person. I'm not, say it with me. I'm not that person anymore. We need to give ourselves permission to become someone else. And we need to give those around us permission to become someone else. We're moved from glory to glory. We're changed into Christ, but it's a metamorphic, say it with me, metamorphic experience. We, have, we, we receive this thing from the Lord, and then we work it out. We start moving into this identity, and it's a progression. 
And it's not easy. But nonetheless, that's true. So these guys are in a believing household, and yet they didn't believe. What? <laughs> Here's another one. The Catholic Church teaches that Mary was a forever virgin. Clearly, that's not the case. Jesus had four brothers, right? So that's not true. And then he tells them that they, that they, want, they, wanted, him, they wanted to use these brothers. Or want, they want to use their worldly mindset. They're trying to get Jesus to go into a worldly mindset. They're telling him to roll into Jerusalem and blow it up. They're like, you're 305, Jesus. Come on, represent. You're from Galilee. Show these J-Town fools what it's like to come from G-Town. Come on, you got to show them. And Jesus is like, mm, not going to happen. He said, Galilee's not where it happens. you got to go there. Jesus is on a prophetic timetable. This is important. It's important. There's a prophecy in Daniel, and I'm not going to break it down for you, but I'm going to reference it because it's, say with me, super cool, right? So a lot of the prophets, some of the prophets, most of the, I mean, all the prophets are, are, are true and everything, but there are certain, certain prophetic prophets in the Old Testament that are like, like, you can't get any more accurate. Daniel's one of those guys that it's just clarity. And Isaiah's another one, clarity. David in the Psalms, clarity. A lot of them, it's, they're, they're, they're reading and seeing and understanding and writing prophetic things, and what they're writing is true, but what they're alluding to isn't necessarily true. In the book of Daniel, it said 100, it's basically works out like this. I'm totally paraphrasing this. 173,880 days, Daniel said, Messiah the prince will be cut off. So there's a specific time when Messiah the king would be cut off. And it was 173,880 days from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, right? And so there was a decree. So Daniel prophesies when the decree is given. So we've got to realize these people are not in Israel and they're not in Jerusalem. They're in Babylon. So Daniel's making this prophecy. Israel doesn't have a car, or excuse me, I want to say a car. Israel doesn't have a nation and they don't have Jerusalem, Right? It's, it's, that's what he's prophesying this, and, and they don't even have anything close to what he's referencing. Daniel's asking the Lord, how long until we go back? Because it was a prophecy that they would be there for 70 years. Daniel came there to Babylon when he was a boy, and so he's now an older man. I won't call him old. He's, old, er, he's a wiser, more seasoned man, and so he's in that season of his life, and he realizes, I've probably been here 70 years. So I know it's close for us to go back. And so what he's doing in, in, these, in Daniel 9 especially is he's asking the Lord, when will, I, when will we go back? And the Lord sends him a visitation. Visitations are in the Bible. And so the, the angel speaks to him and tells him. And he tells him, from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, 173,880 days. He's not even talking about, the angel doesn't even tell him what Daniel's asking the angel gives him an answer that's above and beyond what Daniel asked for. It's how the Lord works. He always gives you more than what you're asking for. 173,880 days. On March 14th, 445 B.C., the Persian kings Artaxerxes and Longinus signed a decree allowing the Jews to return to Jerusalem and build it. There was two decrees. The first decree was only to build the walls. The second decree was to build the city. The city. So this is when it, the decree to build the city is given. It will be 173,880 days before Messiah the prince will be cut off. Jesus only allowed himself to be called king one time. Well, two times. One was on the cross. But prior to the cross, 
He only allowed himself to be called king one time. Anybody know when that was? Come on. Hosanna to the son of David. They're calling him king. Son of David is the king. And he, it's the only time he embraced that title. The only time was when he was doing the, the triumphal entry, when he was going to be crucified. It's the only time he embraced the title of king publicly. Jesus himself, and that occurred on April, April 6, 32 AD. Do you know when that was? Exactly 173,880 days from the decree of Artaxerxes Longimanus. And so Jesus wasn't on man's timetable. He's on a prophetic timetable. My time is not yet. My time is not yet. My time is not yet. What, what does that mean? That Jesus is up here in the mystery? No, he's going to fulfill a prophecy that centuries later, he's going to throw it out there and say, prove me wrong. He fulfills the prophetic because it's undeniable. You see, to the extent that God does to try to convince us that he is who he says he is, is mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. You know, some of you believe in the, in the most simple and genuine ways. Others of you, it's like, you got to prove it to me. It's got to be proven to me. Right? And you got to be proven every step of the way. Prove me that God heals. Prove me that God prophesies. Prove me that God's going to see me through. Prove it, prove it, prove it, prove it, prove it. We're believers, right? We're believers. So you want me to prove it? If I've done it before, I'll do it again. Well, how do I know he's going to do it for me? God's no respecter of persons. What he's done for one, he'll do for another. He doesn't respect. It's not, it's not about favorites. It's about intimates. It's another story. Jesus was on a prophetic timetable, and he met it. He was not influenced by outside circumstances. So what does that mean to you? You have a prophetic purpose to your life. I don't know if you're aware of that. You probably aren't. Most aren't. We're just drifting, occupying until Jesus comes. When there's a prophetic mandate over your life, that prophetic mandate is not necessarily going to come about on its own. It just isn't. You have to partner with it. And you see Jesus, he had to partner with the prophetic mandate. He made decisions that related to the prophetic mandate, right? He didn't give himself to be crucified until the time was right, right? You have to partner with it. There's a prophetic purpose to your life. You have an eternal destiny. I'm just going to hit this because I just want to push this into your life a little bit. The prophetic mandate, you have an eternal destiny. You're going to live forever. Happy day. Is that, you, ever, you ever thought about that? You're not going to die. What? Jesus said, they who believe the words that I speak shall never die. You're not going to die. Your body's going to go, and you're going to rock on into another world, a kingdom. Amen. Come on. Come on. Right? You're immortal. You should wake up every day. Everything's going south. You're going, no, I'm not. I'm immortal. I'm going to live forever. <laughs> you will live forever. That is the motivator of the Christian. That's what's, that, if we get that, that should affect every decision we make in this world. But oftentimes we don't truly get that, right? Because if we understand that we're going to stand before him and be rewarded based upon a life that served him, hmm? You're going to get an eternal life. You get that. But what if you go further? What if you give more of yourself, more of your being, more of whatever, more? What if you give more? Let's just start with more before we even touch all. What if you give more? What will you be given? Peter asked that. We've given everything. What do we get? Jesus said, you'll get everything and more. 
There's not one who has done anything for me who will not be rewarded in this life and the world to come. You mean there's more? There's more. There's more. Pastors aren't going to tell you one. This one is going to tell you there's more. We're all equal when it comes to eternal life. No, we're not. You get eternal life, but we're not all going to be equal in that kingdom. Read the parable of the talents. Some got three, some got five, some got ten. Read it. We're not all equal. You get eternal life, you're happy, you're going to be a part of the kingdom. Woo, you're not going to have a care in the world. Happy day. But I want influence. I want to rule, I want to rule with him. I want to reign with him. Like Thomas, let us die with him that we may reign with him. That's what Thomas said. I will, you mean, I, he understood the concept of reward. Another story. You have a destiny, but you have a purpose, which is a direction for your life. So your eternal destiny is to come before the king, enter his kingdom, and, have it, and live everlasting. What a, what a gift. And you have a purpose to your life. What is your purpose? It's the direction your life is supposed to go in. Your life's not supposed to go sideways. And if it does go sideways, you whip the car back around and you get it going straight again. You're supposed to have a direction. There's a purpose to your life. What's my purpose? I don't know. I don't know. Stick around. We'll try to help you with it. You have a purpose to your life. And in that purpose, you have assignments and mandates. You cannot fulfill your purpose if you don't understand assignments and mandates. Some of you, you're in this city. You've been assigned to this church. You've been assigned to this church. You're supposed, you don't know. I don't even understand, but this is my assignment. This church, I'm supposed to be a part of this church. I'm supposed to connect to this church. I'm supposed to draw from this church. I'm supposed to serve this church. I'm supposed to do whatever. It's your assignment. Your assignment leads to greater purposes and leads to greater clarity. Some of you have mandates on your, they're, they're assignments and mandates. These are things that you must do. You must do. That's a mandate. Another story. The other part of this, and I'm just touching on this, is seasons. Your purpose oftentimes relates to seasons. There are seasons when these things happen, and everybody's waiting for a season. I'm just waiting for my season to come. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about understand the season that you're in. You get it? Some of y'all are raising kids. That's the season that you're in. Some of you, your kids are grown. You're in another season. I meet Christians all the time. They raise their kids, and they're like, well, it's going to get myself a, you know, go fly around the country. You're going to get me some frequent flyer miles, and I'm just going to go visit the world. Is that what Jesus wants for you in this season of your life? The most productive season of your life, and he wants you to travel the globe. Again, that is the wrong frame. That is a worldly frame. That is not a kingdom frame. It's not. You can do it. You can go, you know, and I, you, know you, can, you, you can take a couple weeks vacation, but there are people doing it as like, that's my life now. That's my life. I'm going to do nothing with myself. Your kids are grown. You're wiser than you've ever been. You're smarter than you've ever been. You got more money than you've ever had in your life, and you got free time, and that's what you want to do? And you don't think there's any accountability to that? You think the Lord's not just going to overlook that and not hold you accountable to the time that he's given you and your, your, your lack of overall use? <laughs> just a thought. Just a thought. What season are you in? Some of you are in a growth season. Some of you are in a dysfunctional season. Ask the Lord, how do I get out of this? How do I get out of this dysfunction? Well, understand your purpose. Recognize the season of dysfunction. Ask him for some assignments and mandates that get you out of the dysfunction. All of these four things that I'm telling you, they work together. They're like a tool set that if you can integrate these things and move them, your life will change. Will change. 
Jesus was on a prophetic mission. We're to be on a prophetic mission. It's not just for Paul, it's for all of us. Paul had a dream about Macedonia, and he went to Macedonia. He was seeking God. God, gave, God directed his life the whole way, right? You see this all through, and you think it's all, it's all for the apostles. What if it was for you? What if God would do the same thing for you? Now, you may not be translated and find yourself running alongside of a chariot like Philip, but maybe he translates you from your circumstances and puts you into a vehicle that enables your life to go forward, enables you to be a participant in this kingdom. What if he did that? You guys are getting quiet on me. <laughs> too close, too close. <laughs> Brothers had issues. They grew up in a faith-filled household. Some of you should be encouraged by this. Franklin Graham. You guys, know, Anybody know who Billy Graham is? What's his son's name? Franklin Graham struggled with his faith his whole life. And what happens is, is when people are raised in faith-filled households, a lot of times they resent it. You've been well, really well-meaning to them, and you raise them, then they get teenagers, and they resent it. They don't want anything to do with it. Some of you, this isn't the case, but oftentimes this is the case, and we always talk to the people with the golden child, you know, the child who goes up in the faith and immediately becomes a worldwide minister and follows in the legacy of his forefathers. We celebrate that one. But what about the rest, right? What about most? Let's just say that. They grew up in his household. They, they resented it. These guys resented it. They, resent, they, they found Jesus embarrassing. They tried to get him to come home. Come on, Jesus, come home. Come home. He's teaching and laying hands on people. And they're like, come home. Come home. And they're like, Jesus, your mother and brother at the doors. He's like, so? Who's my mother? And you're like, so? He's like, who is my mother? Who is my brothers? They hear the word of God and do it. They were trying to get him to come home. Come on, Jesus, you're embarrassing us. You're embarrassing the family name. Come home. A lot of kids feel embarrassed by that. They, made, they're made, we, they, they feel uncomfortable. You know, they don't want to live under the pressure. Some, some of you are very strong faith people. You put standards on your children. You, God's done great things in their life, and they don't feel that they can measure up to the standard that you've set. You want them to, you welcome them to, but they can't, so they don't feel the pressure and they move away from it oftentimes. And what ends up happening is, is that we have to let that child become their own person, train up the child in the way that they should go, and when they're older, they'll not depart from it. It's very painful, especially for parents that go through these types of things. What I have learned through my work and my experience, <laughs> Lord's like, I'm gonna cut, you're gonna get cut, Kevin. He didn't cut me, but the circumstances is going to cut you, and I'll be like, I'm bleeding, Jesus. And he's like, I know you are. And once you're done bleeding, I want you to use the wound and teach other people from that place. I want you to show them what this means and what this looks like. What I've learned, say, well, I'm going to give you guys a really easy key. You got family members that don't know Jesus. You got children that don't know Jesus. You're just going to say, Holy Spirit, come on. I give them to you. You love them more than me. My influence is limited. Yours is not. I give you permission to do what you want in their life. That's what you do. You trust the Holy Spirit, and you get out of the way. And I've watched God do this in my family members. Like, my whole family got saved, and it wasn't because of me, you know, the, the mighty evangelist of the house. My influence was there, but I prayed for them, and I just released the Holy Spirit. I wasn't we in weeping intercession for them three times a week. I gave them to the Holy Spirit. I allowed the authority of my life to be the bridge. I'm like, I'm the spiritual patriarch of this household. I claim spiritual authority. I'm getting off on other things, which I probably shouldn't, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm the spiritual authority of this household. 
It's how the kingdom works. I take my place. I'm the spiritual patriarch. I am. So I am the one with authority over all my household. I'm the one with authority over every unsaved person in my family. The tree comes from this one. And so therefore, in this, I'm letting the devil know what's going on here. This is what I'm doing. And then I'm not letting the Jesus know. He already knows. He's just like, wow, look at this. Bravo. Look at this guy. Look what he's doing. And then I allow the Lord to, and I just release the Holy Spirit into the lives of these people and into the lives of my family members and into the lives of my children. I allow him to do for me what I cannot do for them. It's true. Come on. It's true. And you'll see him move. And you'll see him move. I, I've been staggered at what he's done. What he's done in secret. He does it in secret. He, like he's just doing it. You know? It's like Elijah. You know? Oh God, I'm the only one. Nobody cares. He's like, I got 350 in the cave, bro. You know, you, don't, you think I'm that short-sighted? I'm not that short-sighted. God will take care of it. Franklin Graham came to faith. What happened with Franklin Graham? Franklin Graham was a guy who, didn't, who couldn't live up to his father's standards. How'd you like to be Billy Graham's son? Right? How'd you like that pressure? Now, if you're gifted and you're a communicator, then, hey, it's not a problem. Just step right in. But what if you got a different skill set? What if you're born a different person? What, what happens then? And he got lost along the way. And he struggled with alcohol. <gasps> he struggled with drugs. He smoked cigarettes for a long time. He tells a story of him coming home high and drunk and his mother and he passing out on the bed and he woke up with an ashtray dumped on his head because his mother dumped an ashtray and she said, this is what you're doing to yourself and this is what you're doing to this family. And she's like, I'll have no more of it. What happened to Billy? What happened to Franklin? He came to the conclusion that I don't have to be my father. I can serve Jesus and not be my father. And so what did he do? He allowed the Lord, he allowed himself to find his voice with the Lord. And he does what? Anybody know what he does? Come on. Somebody in here is going to know that. Come on. Who? What? Samaritan's Purse. He does a global ministry. Didn't start out global. Started out very regional. Probably didn't even have any intention of going global. He's just trying to find his voice. Trying to find his lane. Right? Trying to honor the Lord in the best way that he could. And as he began to find a voice, Samaritan's Purse, helping orphans around the world. And as he began to find that voice, and now they're doing disaster and all kinds of other things, his voice has expanded. But he doesn't do crusades. He's not up there calling people to Christ, but he's, he's, he, is, is he any less? No. And so sometimes we put this pressure on them, and we don't allow the people around us to find that. So it's, it's it, you know, give yourself a little bit of a break. Let the Holy Spirit do this. Um, let the Holy Spirit help you. And let the Holy Spirit do it, because he will. The world cannot hate you, he tells his brothers. He said, they can't hate you because you're of this world. It's like, I'm not going down there because they hate me. They hate me. Literally hate me. You're like, the world hates Jesus. They hate him. They don't hate his deeds. What do they hate? Anybody? Starts with a W, ends with a D. Words. All right, one's with an S, but I was trying to give you a clue. <laughs> that doesn't end with a D. Words. They hate his words. Anybody remember the baker from uh, Colorado? You know what I'm talking about? Wouldn't bake the cake for the gay wedding? Yeah. yeah. That guy's been on relentless attack ever since he won that court case. He's got transgender homosexual lawyers just firing court cases at him all the time. Won't let him alone. The state of Colorado has come against him, oppressed by the state. Why? Because he won't bake a cake. Really? The state of Colorado has nothing better to do than to focus on that. 
Why would people with their diversified, accepting, everybody accept us lifestyle, why would they blowtorch that guy? Why would they come against this just, just simple man and spend so much of their time and their resources? Well, it's not because he's not a good baker. It's because what he echoes is the voice of the Lord. They're not, they don't even hate Jesus. They hate the word that he represents that is of the Lord. And all he says is, I don't agree. I don't agree. I don't agree with this immorality, and it is immoral. I don't agree with this at all. And because he says they don't agree, the world hates him. That's a very mild version of what Jesus is dealing with here. <laughs> our, that's our, it's our country, Christian. It's where we're at. The world hates they don't hate Jesus or the concept of Jesus. He's got fans in every corner of the world, every corner. He had thousands of fans, just like now, following him, clapping him, yay, Jesus, until he gives the standard of what it means to follow him, and then poof, they all go. <laughs> it wasn't his deeds, it was his words, Christian, but his words are life. His words are spirit. His words are what change us. He says, you're, not, you're part of a system. I testify, I speak, I demonstrate that their deeds are evil. So let's just talk about briefly this word evil. It's Greek word ponos, P-O-N-O-S. And this, I, I extrapolated the definition. Say this. It means actions, ways of life, and mentalities that are pain-filled and produce inevitable agonies. Yeah, that's what evil means. Evil means deeds, actions, mentalities, lifestyles that produce pain and inevitable agony. And so Jesus is saying, that way will destroy you. That way will lead to eternal condemnation. That way will lead to the destruction of your family. That way will lead to the destruction of your business. That way will lead to the destruction of your health and your body. He says these things. And the world hates him. He's not walking around. He's merely saying that weighs judgment. It's Deuteronomy all over. I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose. Which one do you want? You want the curse? Then keep living that way and experience the inevitable agonies. Don't you want to avoid some inevitable agonies? I've had about as enough agony in my life as I think. I mean, I, I, I'm like, I, I don't want to cash that check anymore. I don't want any more inevitable agonies. And so my response is, I don't have any good ideas. What do you want, Lord? What do you want, Kevin? I literally want what you want. <laughs> I just want Jesus what Jesus wants. No, I seriously, I don't want any more inevitable agonies. Jesus goes up to Samaria. He goes up by secret. I'm almost done. He goes up secretly. So remember that map with the road? Alex, you got it? I'll show it real quick. He might have it. You were, you were like Johnny on the spot last time. It was like, bam. I go, Alex, you got the mo So everybody would travel around, around Samaria to go to Jerusalem for the feast. At this feast, Jesus went, Luke 9 tells us, Jesus went through Samaria. Everybody had a problem with Samaria? Jesus didn't have a problem with Samaria. He went through Samaria. He follows his way through Samaria. He arrives later in the week because the Jewish leaders were trying to kill him. And what would happen is, is these people would travel in caravans. So what's really going on here is the Jewish leaders are waiting for the Galileans to show up. I want you to check all the caravans coming from Galilee, and I want you to find when Jesus comes 
with the caravan from Galilee. They knew the Galileans. They knew the way they dressed. You know, they knew the way that, you know, they knew if you were from Hialeah or not. They knew that. You know what I'm saying? I'm telling you, I'm at Disney and I can tell somebody from Miami. I can tell. I can tell. I'm like, I bet you that person's from Miami. She's like, like, how do you know? I go, I'm just telling you, I think they're from Miami. And I said, I, can, I, I go, I may, not, I may not get them into the 305, but I can get them into the, the Dade Broward. And I'm definitely South Broward, Miami. I'm telling you, I know. And they could tell the Galileans, you know, they could tell. They could tell who these people were. And they were looking for Jesus among the Galileans. And they couldn't find him. And so Jesus comes later in the week. And the people were complaining about him. Do you complain about him? If you complain about Jesus, stop. Just stop. Nothing to complain about. Say it with me. The problem is not his. The problem's on my side. If the blessing's not flowing, it's not because of him. It's not him. Right? You don't, he doesn't need to work on anything. Say this. I cannot move God. I know it's going to be hard. We've got to move God. You can't move him. But you know what you can do? Align with him. God is immovable. You can't move him. You line up with him. That's what you do. It's the whole point of discipleship is to get your life to line up with his. And when you line up, it works. It works. Things start happening. Nothing's perfect, but, you, but man, it's different. I can tell you that. I got more stories. I won't share them. I'm moving on. I have a lot of stories, but I won't share them. And it says, some people complained about him. Stop complaining about him. You know what you need to ask him, Lord? What's my dysfunction? I've just walked in to see what condition my condition is in. Lord Jesus, show me what my major malfunction is. Show me what is keeping me from the thing that you know and I know you have for me. What is it? And then sit down and hold the chair. Develop the relationship where he can tell you what time it is. And he said, others were complaining about him. Some's like, no, 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 he's good. He's good. He's a nice guy. He gives fish and chips. He heals people. Another said, no, he's a deceiver. He deceives the people. But no one would dare spoke openly of him because of the fear of the Jews. You want to talk about cancel culture? That's the ultimate cancel culture. If you didn't say what they wanted, they would kick you out of the synagogue. They would kick you out of your whole lifestyle would change. Cancel culture didn't begin 10 years ago. Cancel culture began here. People with power dictating what people can say and what they can't say. And if they don't like what you say, they cancel you. And you're not allowed to play in the club anymore. And you're not allowed to be in their world anymore. So here's cancel culture right here. Nobody dared even say anything about Jesus. They had these people on such lockdown. C.S. Lewis says this. He's a former atheist. He said, Jesus is not a good person. He never gave us that option. Jesus gives three options to the whole world. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. He's nothing in between. He's a, a good man doesn't say he's God. A good man doesn't say you're lost. A good man doesn't give his life away and then tell you to give your life away in exchange for his. That's either a liar, or that's somebody who's off his lid, or he's Lord. If he's a liar, the answer is go your way. Right? He's a deceiver. Go your way. Fine. He's a lunatic. This guy's a psychopath. Then go your way. Go your way. Nothing stops you. But if he's Lord, the command is to go his way. And so the issue is, is which one is he? 
Every, all, man, all mankind will must answer for who Jesus is. And we cannot placate him with an answer that he's just a good man because he's not. He's not. You can call him anything you want, but you cannot call him good. What, good? Why do you call me good? Even Jesus was, a, was pushed back at that. Why are you calling me good? What's your point in calling me good? I'm far more than good. Are you calling me God? There's no one perfect but God. There's no one good but God. So you're calling me good. But my question is, is are you calling me God? Because that's who I am. I'm not just good. Is he liar? Is he lunatic? Is he Lord? If you have a hard problem with Jesus and you don't like Jesus and you think he's a liar, you didn't go your way. If you think he's crazy and it's another religious thing, then go your way. We receive the results of our decisions. But if he's Lord, Christian, and you've given your life to him, then you are compelled to go his way. Bible says this, times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands repentance because he has fixed a day upon which he will judge the world in righteousness by Jesus, who he has received the appointed position. And the proof and the assurance of this is the resurrection from the dead. God commands repentance. Say, I never knew anything about Jesus. Well, that day's over, right? Today's the day. If you've never given your life to Jesus, you don't know if you're saved. You don't know if you're born again. You say, I have no idea what you're talking about. The Bible says this, all of us have a sin problem. The Bible says the, the, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory and the goodness of God. We're separated from God. The wages of that sin, the penalty, the reward, the, what we receive from sin is separation. Now and eternally, eternal separation. The Bible says that the gift of God is life eternal through Christ Jesus. And then it says if you believe in your heart and will confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he has risen from the day, dead, you would be saved. And so everything that Jesus did, the way that you activate that and begin this process of giving your life back to him and you, where you become born again is by, by inviting him into your heart through a prayer. And we're going to do that here this morning, and we're all going to pray. And everybody watching by live stream, we want to encourage you to do the same if you've never given your life to Christ. So let's just do it. This is not an answer. This is, not, this is the offer you don't refuse. You don't refuse this one. It doesn't get any better than this. Let's just pray it out and just say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. And so I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you and all that you are. I receive his mind. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. All right, come on. We, amen. We have a prayer team available. These people over here will pray for you if you need prayer for anything. Anything, they will pray for you. You want a prophetic word? I'm call, Jeremiah's going to give you a prophetic word this morning. I'm calling you out, Jeremiah. Let me bless you one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way, and may the Lord give you peace, and may you forever live within his favor in Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. Discover Elevates this afternoon. Amen.